Right now, let's have a, a word of prayer. Let's uh, kneel together if it's possible to, and we can come before the Lord and ask Him for His blessings. Our Father, which art in heaven, You are our Father. We thank You so much that we have such a loving Father that we can turn to and in our times of need and in good times each and every moment. We come before Thee, we thank Thee, Lord, for the Holy Sabbath day, this day that You created. It's very interesting, You didn't have to create a seventh day, but You chose to create a seventh day that You could fellowship with us, where You saw our needs, and that we needed a day to spend entirely with Thee in rest, spiritually and physically. So, Father, we thank You for the Sabbath day. We thank You uh, for Your Holy Word that is a guide and uh, is the uh, book of instruction, as it's been said. Uh, book of instruction before leaving earth. And, and so we thank You for providing it, protecting it through the ages, and, and uh, that it's filled with the truth concerning Your character, the truth that You gave all heaven up in Your Son Jesus so that we may be saved. Now, Father, we, we give You our hearts, we give You our minds, and we pray that You will give us the Holy Spirit, that will lead us into the truth, convict us of our sins, that we may repent. And that repentance, we know, comes from Jesus as well. And Father, we pray that You forgive us as a people and that we can be born again this very moment. And those who may be discouraged, Lord, may they know that they've been pardoned. And give them peace. A peace from the removal of that guilt. And so, Father, as we come before Thee, we also lift up those who are, are hurting, those who are in a straight place, a hard place, those who are going through difficulties, whether it be health or, or finances or, or whatever it may be. May they be assured that You are there. We know that uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6.33 to seek your kingdom and your righteousness above all things and you'll take care of everything else. And we claim that promise now. We lift up those who have made prayer requests and pray that you be very, very near to each one. And Father, we pray for our families and our children that you be very near to them. Send angels to protect them as they make choices each and every moment. Some that are not in harmony with Your will. And the devil lays traps for them. We pray that angels will protect them, that they may see the truth and the light and return to Thee. And Father, as I speak on this subject, continue to speak on this subject, I pray that You give me the words to, to bring to the congregation. May they be the truth, not my opinion, but the truth. And that hearts may be receptive to it, and that we may begin to practice it, put it into practice into our lives. Thank you so much for Jesus. His life, His life here on earth. He gave up all heaven to be our example, to show us the way to the kingdom, to show us your true character. And we thank you that Jesus took our sins upon Himself, took that terrible weight of guilt, and died a death that we deserve, so that we may have the life that He deserves. May we never forget that. 
at any time. Please continue to be with us. Give us a taste of heaven today. Encourage us through the coming week ahead. We pray in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Well, friends, last week we we began this study. I entitled The Core of Gospel Order. Now I'm just going to kind of uh, touch on some of the things that we, we spoke of in part one, just kind of refresh our memories. Uh, I shared with you one of the statements from a book, Early Writings, and, and in defining gospel order, because you, you've heard me express that uh, I'm sure that term, gospel order, a number of times and may not have known exactly what it meant. So we want to see what it is. And, and we find this in early writings. It says, the church must flee. This was the angel speaking to the prophet here, Ellen White. And the angel said, the church must flee to God's word and become established upon gospel order, which has been overlooked and neglected. There are fanaticisms, different things coming in. The devil's bringing into the church, and and she want to know how do we have this unity? Well, we, you you have to to uh, bar the door to the enemy, and how do you do that? The angel said, "We have to flee to God's word. We have to flee to God's word and become established upon gospel order." Well, what is gospel order? Acts of the apostles. I shared this uh, in part one. Speaking of what the apostles were doing as they organized churches, they surrounded them, these churches, with the what was called the safeguards of gospel order. And then it was defined, it says, officers were appointed in each church and proper order and system were established. For what? For the conduct of all the affairs pertaining to the spiritual welfare of the believers. These were the safeguards of gospel order. That there would be officers appointed, those officers that qualified. If you don't have anyone who qualifies, they're not to be appointed. But these officers were appointed in the church. In other words, these churches were brought together and and organized in proper order with a system established that would protect the spiritual life of the members. Gospel order. And then I shared with you, well, began to share with you, what is the core of gospel order? This protection. This order that, that protects us from uh, uh, the advances of the enemy, from the temptations, from the apostasy, from the sin. And out of Christ's object lessons, page 128, I shared... She says, no man can rightly present the law of God without the gospel or the gospel without the law. So the gospel has everything to do with the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And notice again, she says, the law is the gospel embodied, you remember, and the gospel is the law unfolded. The law is the root. The gospel is the fragrant blossom and fruit which it bears. And then I shared with you uh, from the uh, Signs of the Times article uh, entitled The Great Salvation, where she says the gospel is Christ unfolded 
And Christ is the gospel embodied. Now friends, when you start to look at these and put them together, it's really profound. It gets to the core. You see, what is the gospel? What is gospel order? So when you compare what she says there in that article, the gospel is Christ unfolded and Christ is the gospel embodied with what we read out of Christ Objects Lessons. The law is the gospel embodied and the gospel is the law unfolded. What do we see? The law is the gospel embodied and then we read that Christ is the gospel embodied. And again, we read the gospel is Christ unfolded and the gospel is the law unfolded. So we can say that Christ is the law, can we? Or better yet, the law is a transcript of the character of Christ, the character of God. And what is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ, that the law is unfolded in the life of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel. It's the core of the gospel. And I shared uh, uh, from Signs of the Times, April 11th, 1895, where it says, In His obedience, speaking of Jesus, in His obedience to the law of God, He exemplified in His human nature, she says, the fact that the law is a transcript of divine perfection. That, friends, is it in a nutshell. He exemplified in His human nature that the law is a transcript of God's character. The gospel is the good news, friends, that through Christ we can keep the law of God. In other words, we can become like Christ in holy character. As she says, divine perfection. And as she stated uh, one time before, we read, the gospel is glorious because it is made up of Christ's righteousness. And there was a quote that I read last night and my wife and I were reading and I, I don't have it with me right now, but in essence, um, it says that speaking of the church, that the church is the example of the gospel which is Christ's righteousness. And so when we're speaking about who and what the church is, we find that embodied within that church, the definition, the core of the gospel is in the church, and that is Christ's righteousness. Which is what? Divine perfection. It's the law, the transcript of God's character. Will be seen in His people. And so how does this come about? No. How do we have this gospel order in our life? How do we have Christ in our life? It's the same question, isn't it? Because the core of the gospel order is Christ. And in order to have this order in our life, we must have Jesus. Amen? 
How do we have Jesus in our life? Well, I shared with you seven steps. I'll go through them very quickly. I'll just give you the, the Scripture reference at this time, but in part one we covered this pretty well. I need to move on to part two here as quickly as possible. Step one was we must lift up Jesus. He's going to draw us to Himself. That's John 12 and verse 32. The second step, upon seeing Jesus, remember, the law unfolded, the law unfolded in the, the uh, uh, human nature of Jesus, that divine perfection. As we see that, we recognize our true condition. We recognize our need to be saved, our need of a Savior, our need for Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. Step three, we must not resist Christ drawing us to Himself. That's Matthew 12 and verse 31. Step four, Jesus will give us conviction of sin. Well, I say the Holy Spirit. Jesus was speaking this. The Holy Spirit will give us conviction of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That's John 16 verses 8 to 11. Step five, Jesus will give us repentance as we see our needs, see, and we're convicted, He'll give us repentance. That's Acts 5 and verse 31. Step 7. We must confess and forsake our sins. That's all of them, friends. 1 John 1, 9. And step 7. We must give Him our entire heart. And then we will be born again. We will be born again in Him. And that's the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses you know, 3 to 8. Verses 1 on, you can just read the whole chapter. Now, that's what we learned in part 1. This new life in Christ, we're born again, this new life in Christ, it must be maintained. It must be maintained. It's not a once saved, always saved, you know, that, that, uh, that teaching out there. It doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> the law has been done away with, nailed to the cross, part of the old covenant. It doesn't matter what you do. Once you've been saved by Christ, you, you've accepted Him. Oh, you're saved always. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's the idea that Jesus was different than us in some way. In that, uh, of course, He was God. He could overcome sin. See? does completely away with the human nature of Christ. Which we'll find is everything to us, friends. But this new life in Christ must be maintained. We must maintain our spiritual health and feed that born-again nature and not that carnal nature. Isn't that true? And that consists of an a, a, a individual devotion, individual obedience to Christ. We must each be a student in the school of Christ. So we've got to spend some time. Remember we, we said in, uh, uh, in our Sabbath school study, Paul speaking to Timothy, he said that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. We're to study about the life of Jesus. If we've given our heart to Jesus, we want to know Jesus. We want to know more about Him. And Jesus said, come unto me, He says, and I'll give you rest. And so to become like Christ, we must develop through faith and through grace a mind like that of Christ. Paul said in Philippians 2 and verse 5, Let this mind be in you, 
which was also in Christ Jesus. And so we have to develop this, a mind like that of Christ, and that comes with walking with Christ. There is an order, friends, to all of this, and I hope you're seeing it. Because God is a God of order. Now, I have a personal system uh, that I'm going to share with you uh, that will help you to be consistent in having uh, gospel order in your spiritual life. Some of you, maybe many of you, I know my wife has heard this before, um, but uh, maybe you've heard it before, not only that, but you've put it into practice. Maybe you have, and you can tweak it, you do it any way you want, but the, you know, the principles are, are what I want to express And this is in line with what we've been learning, friends. Because gospel order begins with us as an individual. And before I get into that order here, I want to share with you this this statement first. This is from uh, an article entitled The Hour of Worship from Pacific Union Recorder, May 22, 1902. And speaking about it, beginning with the individual, it begins in the home, and we're going to get to that in coming uh, studies here, that it starts at home. She says, In the family, order should prevail. The members should be trained to regular habits. There should be a fixed time for rising, a time for breakfast, and a time for worship, either directly before or directly after the morning meal. How appropriate it is for parents to gather their children about them before the fast is broken and point them to the Heavenly Father who so liberally gives them the bounties of His providence. How fitting for them to thank Him for His protection during the night and to ask for His help and grace and the watch care of His angels during the day. How fitting also when evening comes, to gather once more before Him and praise Him for the mercies and blessings of the day that is past. Now I wanted to share that with you first because it shows order, doesn't it? And it shows order in the home. And so bearing this in mind, here's a system you can incorporate to help you be consistent and orderly in your your daily spiritual walk. And this isn't, like I said, friends, this isn't the only way. It's just a suggestion, but I know that it works. And it is orderly. And so this first step is to set the alarm, so to speak. Now, you can set your alarm clock, but uh, I know, and in fact, uh, I get a little newsletter from uh, an elderly gentleman who's been in ministry for years and years. uh, and, And he was speaking to this in his last... Uh, little newsletter I received that he has found that uh, um, has learned just recently <laughs> this particular uh, principle of setting the alarm. Let me read the uh, scripture. It's Isaiah 50 and verse 4. It says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. And notice this part. Second part's what what I want to stress. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Now, friends, I have experienced this for a number of years. I will pray to the Lord to wake me in the morning in His time. 
and He's been ever faithful. Rarely do I ever set the alarm clock. And uh, as I said, this this older uh, brother in the faith in his newsletter, he's just discovered this. And he has said, you know, I've, I've taken Isaiah 15 verse 4 and, and I've gone to the Lord with it and he's been, in the last uh, five to six months, he's awakened him at the same time for his study every morning. And I would uh, encourage you to take God's promises. If you go to the Lord and you say, Lord, I want to spend a little more time with you before my day begins. Please wake me in the morning when you would have me to study. The Lord will be faithful in honoring His Word. Set the alarm. That's step one. Step two, as you are awakened and you come, you need to give consent to God in the start of your day. Because we have been given the the freedom to make our own choices by God. We are free moral agents. We make our own decisions. God has given us that gift. And so we need to give Him consent to work in our life each and every day, friends. Proverbs 23 and verse 26, My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. So not only... You know, ask the Lord to wake you in the morning or set your alarm clock. You get up to study. Kneel there in prayer. Give God consent. Give Him your heart. Give Him consent to work in your life, to guide you. In Joshua 24 and 15, we're familiar with this. Joshua, it says there, choose you this day whom ye will serve. And so friends, we've got to give God consent. Who are we going to serve today? Are we going to serve God? Or not? So step two, you have to give consent. You have to give God, in essence, it, it sounds kind of strange to many people, but we have to give God permission. And we do that by giving Him our heart. Our life for each day. Step three. Not only do we give God consent, but we need to ask for the Holy Spirit. And we need to ask for His grace. And we need to ask for the bread of life for that day. John 14 and verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. We need to ask for the Holy Spirit and and the grace of Christ. We read this in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9. And He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So we need to ask for not only the Holy Spirit who's going to teach us all things about Jesus, and teach us right from wrong. We need to ask for the grace of Christ. So then our weakness, His strength is made perfect, see? And in John 6 and verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. We need to ask for the bread of life every day. Now friends, we feed our physical bodies we need to feed our spiritual bodies. We, we need to eat of the bread of life each and every day.
So we, we, we get up in the morning, we set our alarm, we give consent to God, give Him our hearts, we choose to serve Him, we ask for the Holy Spirit, for the grace of God, for the bread of life, we start our day, we get ready and prepared, you see. We have that, that uh, armor placed upon us, we're ready for battle, but we can't defeat the devil by ourselves, can we? Not in our own strength, that's why we need grace. But we also have angels that God has uh, petitioned and has, has given them their mission of helping the church. So we ask for the help of angels. And angels in particular that excel in strength. So we go about our walk each day. The devil wants to destroy us, beloved. He would just as soon, if we're not going to worship Him, as soon as we give God consent and we give our hearts to Him, He's at war with us. And we need to ask for the help of angels, in particular the ones that excel in strength. Psalms 103, verses 20 to 21, says, Bless the Lord ye His angels that excel in strength that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye His hosts, ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. And we need their help. Paul says in Hebrews 1 verse 14, Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So friends, we... We set the alarm, we get up, we give God our hearts, we give Him consent. We ask for Holy Spirit grace and the bread of life. And we ask the Lord to send us angels that excel in strength and I always ask the Lord to bless those angels for their willingness to help us. The fifth part of this system which I mentioned just a moment ago, we ask God to place His armor upon us. It's all part of this, this process each, mo- each day. 1 Peter 5.8 Why do we need the armor? Because we're told here by Peter that we have an adversary, the devil. And what's he doing? He's walking around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now he's not going to devour those who have not given themselves to God. He already has them devoured. I've mentioned this before. Sometimes I'm amazed by Christians when, they, when they're, they're persecuted. Like, that should be expected. God said right there to the serpent in the garden, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. There's a hatred. But you have these false teachers out there teaching prosperity. All will be joy and happiness. False teachers. Oh, we'll have joy. We'll have peace, but Christ gives that to us. But we're going to be persecuted because we have a world that hates Jesus. And if we're with Jesus, they hate us. But we have to have armor. We have an adversary. He wants to devour us. What is this armor? Ephesians 6, 
verses 11 and 12, Paul lays it out there. He says, put the whole armor Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, against that roaring lion. And then he reminds us, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Oh, sometimes, yeah. Humans have been deceived. They're under the control of the devil. They do his bidding. They, they harm the body. But the Bible says, don't fear them that harm the body, but... The one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That lake of fire. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That adversary, the devil, and his minions, those other fallen demon angels. So we get up, we give God consent, we ask for the Holy Spirit grace, bread of life, we ask for the help of angels that excel in strength. We ask God to place His armor on us, and He will. And as we go to warfare, what do we do? Number six, we claim the scriptural promises as our weapons. We have the sword. This represents the Word of God, doesn't it? Our scriptural promises. Second Peter 1 verse 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these what? Great and precious promises of God. That by these ye might be partakers of the what? Divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We become closer and closer to Christ. That gospel, remember we talked about it. Divine perfection. It's the law. It's the gospel. The gospel and the law is the same. It's Jesus. Let's see. And the more we use and claim these promises, the more the devil is repelled. Uh, uh, he's defeated. He's repelled. And we've taken another step closer and closer to Jesus. And then the seventh, the seventh part of this system, which we don't do often enough, friends. We praise God for the victories He's given us through the day. Praise God. In fact, when we come together in the evening, as she says the families are to do, what did she say? How fitting also when the evening comes to gather once more before Him and praise Him. She says, for the mercies and blessings of the day that it's past. We're to praise God for the victories that He's given us throughout the day. And even if we've had hardship, we praise God for the hardship. Because we know He allows it for the perfection of our character. To reveal something to us. Something that may need changed. Or to polish within us maybe patience or charity. Or meekness. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58, Paul says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So friends, here, here's this system. And I lay it out as an example for you. But these are the principles. We, every one of us gets up in the morning. If we don't get up in the morning, then we're dead. Or let me, I should say, we get up. We awaken. If we don't awaken, we don't have to worry about, about it anymore, do we? Set the alarm. Go to the Lord. Ask Him to wake you up. Kneel in prayer. Give Him consent. Give Him your heart for the day. Ask Him for the gift of the Holy Spirit and and for grace. Open the Bible, the bread of life. Ask Him to guide you as you read and study. Ask the Lord to send the help of angels that excel in strength to protect you, protect your family, your children, your loved ones, the church. Ask God before you get up for the day, the day's battle to place His armor upon you. You go throughout the day, claim those scriptural promises as your weapons. You have the sword of the Spirit then. And friends, praise God for the victories He's giving, given you throughout the day. Like I said, hardship, whatever it may be. Praise God. Spiritual order, beloved, is the foundation of gospel order. Let me say that again. Spiritual order. And what I've shared with you is is a great part of being in order spiritually with God. God is not the God of disorder, is He? Spiritual order is the foundation of gospel order, for God is spirit. See, And as we learn more and more of Christ, we'll be taught more and more of the divine characteristics of true order as individuals first. Which, as I've said before, will ripple into our family life and all then throughout the church. Spiritual order first. And this is an individual work. This well-ordered life will be seen by others. It'll be a testament to Jesus working in you. Your family will see it. Your family, if they do not know Jesus, will be attracted to it. Because you see, as we talked about that conversion process, Jesus will be lifted up by you because He's in your life. Jesus gave us many lessons uh, upon the need to be orderly. I shared this with you uh, uh, not too long ago. I'll, I'm going to share it with you again. You know, even upon his resurrection, you can see that that uh, we must take the time for order. I had a very tough time learning this. I mean, I every time I I I approach this subject, I'm reminded of when I was in Boy Scouts, and um, they would go through and they would see particular young men who had 
leadership qualities. And they would have a particular camp set up where they would send, they would, they would choose these young men who, who uh, would show certain leadership qualities and they would send us to a camp. And I was sent to this camp that uh, was um, primarily, its focus was to develop and teach leadership, order. And I remember uh, one particular test. Now at the time, I didn't know it was a test. And what they would do, they would see how you um, reacted under certain circumstances. And so each day we were there, uh, we, were, we were divided up into certain patrols, and, and there were uh, six of us in each patrol. And then we had a leader who was our teacher-trainer. And each particular day, one of us would be the, quote, leader of the patrol for that day. And it happened to be my day, and uh, I was very eager for it, and uh, I got things arranged in the morning, we had a very orderly breakfast, and then all of a sudden the, our teacher came in and said, well, there's been a, a, a change in the schedule, um, we have to go on this particular uh, hike, and on this hike we have to stop and, and do certain things. And, and so we need to get that in ready to go. And so I got it uh, ready to go and, and got everybody prepared and ready to go on this hike. And then as we're about to begin this hike, uh, to do this particular, these certain object lessons, um, they threw a monkey wrench in. And they said, well, um, there's another thing that's come up that somebody from the patrol is going to have to go do and they, you know, at the time, I, I didn't know it was a test for me, but this was the test, see. And so, um, I chose someone out of our patrol to lead the hike, and I would go uh, and take care of this particular thing. And afterwards, I found that probably it would have been better for me to go in the patrol and send someone else from patrol. But it was a learning lesson. And for some reason, I always remember that because it was kind of a profound teaching moment for me on how to delegate and how to make decisions under stress. And sometimes you get in a hurry and sometimes you make poor decisions. And God helps us through that, see? There's order. And it helps protect us for such uh, uh, times like that. And But here's Christ's resurrection. And even though... Here come the apostles, they've heard from Mary, remember that Jesus wasn't in the tomb and they they don't know what's going on. And they run to the tomb and and Jesus, what a wonderful, beautiful day. The hope of all of us, friends, is Jesus being uh, uh, resurrected. (laughs) Death couldn't keep Him. There could have been a rush that day. You know, and and, and nothing even thought of it because of how exciting of a day it was for all humanity. But God doesn't get rushed. God's faithful in the little things. And notice here, John 20, verses 3 to 7, says, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple, and that's speaking of John, and came to the sepulcher. So they... They ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. Well, yeah, John was a lot younger. 
and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And here's the particular point. It may be small, many people read right over this, but this tells us a lot about Jesus, tells us a lot about God. Verse 7, it says, And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And reading from the book Desire of Ages, page 789, about this, she says, It was Christ Himself who had placed those grave clothes with such care. When the mighty angel came down to the tomb, he was joined by another, who with his company had been keeping guard over the Lord's body. As the angel from heaven rolled away the stone, the other entered the tomb and unbound the wrappings from the body of Jesus. But it was the Savior's hand that folded each and laid it in its place. In His sight who guides alike the star and the atom, there is nothing unimportant. Order and perfection are seen in all His work. And I'm learning that patience has a large part, a large part to play in, in, in being orderly, friends. Jesus could have just left the grave clothes lay right where they were and who would have noticed them? Certainly not the guards. I mean, though, knowing something about order, I mean, they were soldiers after all. They did not know Christ, and upon the arrival, the angel became his dead men. But there was someone who took notice, and it affected his spiritual life. You read verse 8 there, John 20, verse 8. Then went in also that other disciple, this is John the Beloved, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. What did he believe? What was it he saw and then he believed? You see, beloved, the thought was that someone had stolen the body of Jesus and took Him away. But seeing the grave clothes neatly folded and in their own place, they knew that Jesus was alive. Why would that tell them that Jesus was alive? They knew this because Jesus taught them to pay a close attention to the little things in life. They had walked with Jesus. They had camped, as I would term it, with Jesus as they traveled. They saw His behavior. They knew that He paid close attention to the littlest of things, the way He folded things, the way He took care of His particular space. If somebody came and took the, the, the body of Jesus, they wouldn't have folded His garments. Jesus said in Luke 16.10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. You see, a lot of times, it's just that the opportunity hasn't arisen to be unjust in much. <laughs> but we, God's people, the people 
of His body, we too often gloss over the little things when it comes to order in our life. But Jesus teaches that everything matters and is to be accounted for. We should be very happy about that. I mean, what would it be like if God didn't consider the little things? He's a big God. Surely we would be considered a little thing. We must learn that to be orderly after God's order. If we want to be orderly after God's order, we must take seriously the little things. Let me share this with you. This is from Christ's Objects Lessons again. Page 356. The importance of the little things is often underrated because they are small but they supply much of the actual discipline of life. There are really no non-essentials in the Christian's life. Did you catch that? There are really no non-essentials in the Christian's life. Our character building will be full of peril while we underrate the importance of the little things. By unfaithfulness in even the smallest duties, man robs his maker of the service which is his due. This unfaithfulness reacts upon himself. He fails of gaining the grace, the power, the force of character which may be received through an unreserved surrender to God. Living apart from Christ, he is subject to Satan's temptations and he makes mistakes in his work for the Master. Because he is not guided by right principles in little things, he fails to obey God in the great matters which he regards as his special work. The defects cherished in dealing with life's minor details pass into more important affairs. He acts on the principles to which he has accustomed himself. Thus, actions repeated form habits. Habits form character. And by the character, our destiny for time and for eternity is decided. Friends, I'm going to repeat that again. Actions repeated form what? Habits. Habits form what? Character. And by the character, our destiny for time and for eternity is decided. We are to have order in every aspect of our life. Especially giving detail to the little things. You know, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual aspects are to be in order. And as we learn from the school of Christ, we're we're to do what? We're to implement the, the lessons that He's teaching us. This is part of our walk with Jesus. And when we do this, we grow into the likeness of Jesus. And we become better fitted to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Let me share this with you. This is from the Adventist Home, page 22. God is displeased with disorder, slackness, and a lack of thoroughness in anyone. Well, friends, if you've given your heart to Jesus, you want to please Jesus, do you not? I do. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not just nine of them. Well, that shows that you partly love me. To God, that means that you don't love Him. Now, if you're doing it in ignorance, that's one thing. God can wink at that. 
But once you know the law, you're responsible. And God is displeased with disorder, with slackness, and a lack of thoroughness in anyone, we're told. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.40, let all things be done decently and in order. All things means all things. Even the smallest things. And not only order in spiritual things, but also in physical things, as they both feed off of each other. I want to look at a few examples. I'm going to share a few examples with you, friends. And as we we go along in our study about gospel order, we'll get into greater and greater detail. This is from Councils on Health, page 505. Virtue of character depends upon the right action of the powers of the mind and body. And what did I just read to you about character? Habits form character. And character decides our destiny. And we're told here, virtue of character, a righteous character, depends upon the right action of the powers of the mind and of the body. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, notice this. From the Youth Instructor. It's an article entitled, Words to the Young, August 24th, 1893. We are not to indulge in any habit that will weaken physical or mental strength or abuse our powers in any way. What did I read before? Virtue of character depends upon the right action of the powers of the mind and body. That means our mind needs to be in good health to make right decisions for our body to have physical health. And she says we're not to indulge in any habit that will weaken physical or mental strength or abuse our powers in any way. She says we are to do all in our power to keep ourselves in health in order that we may have sweetness of disposition, a clear mind, and be able to distinguish between the sacred and the common. That's important. And honor God in our bodies and in our spirits which are His. So we find that if we weaken our physical or mental strength or abuse our powers in any way, we will have a harder time having a sweet disposition and a clear mind to be able to distinguish between sacred sacred things and common things. Notice this. This is from An Appeal to Mothers, page 20. In order to strengthen in them, she's talking about children, in order to strengthen in them the moral perceptions, the love of spiritual things, we must regulate the manner of our living, dispense with animal food, and use grains, vegetables, and fruits as articles of food. What would that do? What happens when we dispense from animal food and we, we use grains, vegetables, and fruits? It strengthens our moral perceptions and our love of spiritual things. Now friends, you've heard me talk about how truth is progressive. Yes, we know about Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. But we're to be walking with Christ and growing. And there's going to come a point that you can grieve away the Holy Spirit if you're not paying attention to these little things. 
These little things that come to diet in this instance. It weakens the moral perceptions, friends. Flesh eating does. Time and place for everything. We're not living back after the flood, friends. That's just one example. Here's another one. Let me ask you. Is your home clean and orderly? Can you invite guests into your home and share the love of Jesus with them without being embarrassed because, well, we didn't pay attention to the little things? From the Adventist home, page 89. In the performance of these duties, careless, neglectful, disorderly habits should be overcome. For unless corrected, these habits will be carried into every phase of life and the life will be spoiled for usefulness. And friends, I hope you realize that the simpler our life is, the happier our life is. The more we collect, the more we are responsible for maintaining. Have you discovered that? (laughs) The Adventist Home, page 150. The more simple the order of a well-regulated household, the happier will that home be. What about our wealth? Are we good stewards? I'm just sharing examples here, friends. Is our financial house in order? Do we, do we uh, uh, return an honest tithe, an honest offering to the Lord? Do we put something away in store? Do we stay away from debt? Not speculating or, or gambling. Are we using our means that we've been blessed with as Christ would have us? Do we waste our opportunities to earn for Christ? Are we lazy? Are we lazy and are too often idle when we could be productive? These are things that, friends, we have to consider. This is all a part of being orderly. This is from Councils to Writers and Editors, page 162. God desires to bring men into direct relation with Himself. In all His dealings with human beings, He recognizes the principle of personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. He seeks to encourage a sense of personal dependence and to impress the need of personal guidance. His gifts are committed to men as individuals. Every man has been made a steward of sacred trusts. Each is to discharge his trust according to the direction of the giver, and by each an account of his stewardship must be rendered to God. And we know the parable about the talents, don't we? Let's not bury ours in the dirt. They're given to us for a reason. What about our business life? those who are in business, or even if you're employed. Are we giving our employer a 100% effort, or do we take maybe you know longer breaks than we should? Do we speak well of our employer to other co-workers, or do we complain and murmur? Are we fair 
in our business dealings by treating others like Christ would. This is from This Day with God, page 337. A truly honest man will never take advantage of weakness or incompetency in order to fill his own purse. That's what an honest man would do. He accepts a fair equivalent for that which he sells. I just sold our van a few weeks ago. I share with somebody, I've sold vehicles before, I share with them everything I can think of that I've done to that vehicle or that is wrong with that vehicle. And I'll take an honest uh, uh, price for it. If there are defects in the article sold, he frankly tells it, well, she says this, (laughs) he frankly tells his brother or his neighbor, although by so doing he may work against his own pecuniary interests. In all the details of life, the strictest principles of honesty are to be maintained. Deviation from perfect fairness is a business deal, in a business deal, may appear as a small thing in the estimation of some, but our Savior did not thus regard it. And friends, it goes on the record, doesn't it? I have no guilt when it comes to me selling something or business practices. Because I want to please Jesus. What about our time? This is a big one, isn't it? Are we on a schedule that's pleasing to God? Or do we waste some time in idleness or things that don't edify or, or recreate you know, our, our spiritual soul, so to speak? Are we using our time wisely and learning of Jesus and helping others? And friends, I know there is always improvement that can be made in this area. Believe me. I know. I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. <laughs> I'm right there with you all. Notice this from a, a Review and Herald article entitled, Who Are Partners with Christ? July 17, 1894. I would have you all realize that each one of us is responsible for making the best use of our time for improving our opportunities to their utmost, and for being helpful in every way possible, that we may be laborers together with God. All who have enlisted under the banner of Jesus Christ are reckoned as soldiers of the cross of Christ. They have a part to act in the daily warfare against sin and Satan, against unrighteousness and selfishness. We're responsible as individuals for how we use our time. And as we go along, we'll get into principles of how we can correct those things. Having a daily schedule is just one way of helping with that. You know, it's not all work, 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 friends. Don't misunderstand. But what are we using our time for? And I'm absolutely positive that we can find areas in our life that can be improved and brought into better working order under God's hand. Can anyone say that they've been there, they've arrived? <laughs> so I want to I share and encourage you to take time to reflect upon your personal life. Reflect upon, upon your home life or your business and your finances, upon your time. Are you being a good steward at all that the Lord has given you? Are there areas that need to be changed and brought into order? better order. You know, businesses are, 
all the time are looking to ways to cut labor because labor is a high cost to them and increases their profit. There's a way that they can cut labor or perfect it in some way, this order of how they do their business, that they can be more profitable. And there's a lesson in that. That we can look at our order in our life and maybe make certain changes and learn certain changes that can be made, that we can be more orderly. So take some personal time to investigate and to, to educate yourself as to God's plan, His gospel order you know, for you as an individual and as a family. And we'll, again, we'll be looking into the subject more in depth as we go along here. And beloved, please, do not become discouraged if the mountain looks too tall to climb right now. Just exercise faith and go to the Lord Jesus and lay your burden upon Him. He promises to help you fulfill His will. Remember that our life and work under the Lord is a progressive one. We're each on different paths in this journey with Christ, but friends, we can all be striving for gospel order, even though we walk at a different pace from one another. And the important thing is to have a pace of growth And not, as Ellen White says, retrograde. Go backwards. We always need to be advancing with the light. And the light is Jesus, isn't it? We must always be pursuing a higher standard, the standard of Christ. Now these are principles of gospel order and organization that start at home with the individual. And if we are to be an organized people, friends, it must start at home with the core of gospel order. Christ in our life. And then we'll be fitted to come together in true unity that will shake the world, friends, with the latter rain power. Beloved, Jesus wants to help us as individuals and families. Jesus wants to help us come into order upon His character traits, the Gospel. Jesus wants to help us overcome all obstacles on our path to the Kingdom question is will we let him Paul said in Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 3 in closing I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called with all lowliness and meekness with long suffering forbearing one another in love Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Most loving Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for Your love and care for us, for the blessings that You continually pour upon us who are so unworthy. We thank You so very, very much for Jesus. Lord, is it even at, at night time, we look up into the sky and we see the stars, we see that there is perfect order. And we see that Jesus, all that He did was in perfect order. And He took care of the littlest of things. And so, fathers, we begin to, to evaluate our own personal walk, our own life, and our family. We pray for Your guidance. Pray that You will bring us step by step in the gospel order as an individual and as a family, and, and that may ripple into the church. As we learn these things, give us the grace 
strength we need to put them into practice, that they become a part of our character, that character of Christ. May we not listen to the wiles of the devil and discouragement. Maybe the, the mountain we have in our home and as an individual may seem, may seem great. But Jesus said if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. So Lord, I pray for each one who can see and hear my voice that they may exercise that faith and overcome those mountains in their life. That we may be drawn together in unity as your people and answer the prayer of Jesus in John 17. Lord, please continue to be with us throughout this Sabbath day and may gain the blessing that you have promised and the encouragement we need to continue to walk the path of faith. We pray in the name of Jesus who is so worthy. Amen.